0: I don't like Utah. In fact, I hate them. I hate everything about them. I hate the program. I hate their fans. I hate everything. So it felt really good to send those guys home. I think the whole university and their fans and and the organization is classless.
1: What's it like to whoop up on a BYU guy?
2: You know, I can speak to that personally. <laughs> I played them four years. I beat them four years. Yes, sir. Never lost to BYU. You know, and so people ask me about the rivalry, and they ask me about the Cougars, and it's like, yeah, I have nothing against them. They gave me four Ws, and they, they padded my stats, and you know, there, there's certainly something more to the game, and it, and it, uh, it resonates throughout the entire state.
1: But I mean, I think the country is going to start taking note of this too. I mean, look what Fox did last year, and they brought in the national team to cover that game. It's a beautiful thing that goes on between UYU and Utah. And not just football. Like watching the women's rivalry in soccer and softball is fantastic.
3: But when it comes to football, I mean, is it even a rivalry anymore?
0: Not really. Um, I guess the last uh, five or six years have been, you know, on our side. Um, obviously, with uh, Kalani going to the dark side, um, you know, recruiting is going to change a lot. Um, I think he definitely def- definitely brings a different mix to the recruiting aspect. And um, he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, I root for him besides when he's playing us. So <laughs> uh,
3: so what have you guys been up to lately? Uh, Matt, you graduated 2012. Boone, you were 05? Yeah. What have you guys been up to since then? We'll start with you, Matt.
0: Yeah, so I've just uh, been working at a um, big corporate um, payroll company, ADP, um, sales execs. I've been in small business, midsize, um, and then have been managing uh, a group of guys. So great experience. Um, love the company. And-,
3: and then what about you, Jesse? What have you been up to? I played pro-, pro football for a little while. So I finished up at
2: Utah in 2005, like you mentioned, my rookie year, Cincinnati Bengals. I got a chance to go play in Germany and NFL Europe the last year that they had NFL Europe and spent six months in Dusseldorf, Germany, playing for the Rhine Fire. Um, Awesome time, great experience. It's too bad it's not around anymore. But it was was a great opportunity for me and a lot of other guys to get playing time, to get experience. And then I got picked up by the Oakland Raiders based on my Rhine Fire tape and got a chance to play. Mm -hmm. I played another six years of pro football after that. So really good deal and finished up with football. In 2012, you know, I tell people I retired. Nobody retires from football. You get cut or you get injured. That's about the only way you stop playing. So (laughs) I got cut. Actually, the league I was playing for folded. I was playing for the United Football League for a guy, Jim Fossil, if you guys remember that name from the Utes. Mm -hmm. Um, The league folded, ran out of money, and I came back to Salt Lake City area and started a real estate company called Red Zone Real Estate.
3: What are the differences between playing from uh – The UFL, NFL Europe, and then in the NFL? Status is a big one. You know, you you have to explain what your league is.
2: So when I tell people the UFL, oh, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) And so I tell people, well, it started out as a, a league that was supposed to be a developmental league for the NFL. And they quickly realized that that's what college is. And so it became an NFL Retirement League is what it became. It was for coaches and players that still had the passion, that still had the ability to play, but that the NFL was done with for one reason or another. So guys like myself and Jim Fossil would would go down there to Las Vegas, and we'd spend four months out of the year in Vegas and have a hell of a time and make good money and play great football. And and then we'd go back to our homes instead of having it be a 12-month commitment and a full lifestyle commitment the way that the NFL was. You know, you have a lot more control and you have a lot more – Uh, decision-making power within the team because the ownership group is so small because the management is non-existent and your coaching staff is, you know, more like the size of a college coaching staff, whereas in the NFL, I swear to God these days, every player
3: has a coach. (laughs) Yeah, Every player's got a coach, then they've got an entourage, bodyguards, (laughs) everything. There's like 50 people for one player. So
2: it felt a lot more like I was playing because I love football it was it was kind of like going back to college where it was about the team it was about the guys in the locker room you know you you were playing less for the money you were playing less for the fans as as you know as much as that really is i mean guys in the nfl they they'll say they're playing for the fans they're playing for the money i I've, I've been there i've seen it <laughs> you know they'll they'll leave a team just like that if there's a chance to make more money somewhere else
3: it's kind of like you're not just doing that in football you're seeing that in basketball too in the nba Do you fault someone for going for the money? Or is it kind of just like, should you be there for the fans? You're already making a lot of money.
2: You have a shelf life of very, very small amount of years.
1: What's the average career? Three years in the NFL? Less than one. Less than one?
2: Yeah. Wow. Less than one. So if you consider it from the perspective of I'm only going to be able to make football or make money playing football or basketball for X amount of years – you know, the, the realization is I've got to make the money while I can because the the one thing that we have found out, Matt and I, and a lot of our former teammates from college, pros, or wherever, is the day that you can no longer benefit that team, they have no interest in you. So there is no money after the day you take off your pads. You know, you got to make every dollar you can. How do you, you cope
1: with that intellectually and emotionally? Because that just seems
2: rude. I'll, I'll let Matt speak to that <laughs> part of
0: it. Yeah, I mean, I, um. After going um, and and we developed this uh, program called Athlete Connect where we, you know, help uh, former players transition into the workforce. And, um, you know, I think the reason Jesse and I started doing this because we went through it. Um, I think every athlete does to that extent. Um, But it's an identity crisis, right? You know yourself as a football player, as a basketball player, whatever sport you played since you could put cleats on. And that's all you know. You know how to show up go to school, um, put the pads on, take them off. But once that, um, let's call it, scholarship check ends, um, there's some pretty big crises in the room to where, you know, what am I good at? What what do I need to know how to do? And um, it's pretty scary.
1: Because they don't have job training in another field, right?
0: Exactly. And yeah. and they never necessarily looked for a plan B because, I mean, um, and for everybody, and I'm sure this happens around the country, your number one goal is to make it to the NFL or make it to the NBA. Um, some other sports like gymnastics and skiing, um, obviously there's an end life to that, to where either go to the Olympics or or whatever. But um, with these bigger sports, I mean, you, your number one goal is to make you know the big dollars, to get in the top league, and you don't think it will ever end.
3: But- How do you guys deal with that, though? Like, you're pretty much, when you're an athlete, you're great. You're on scholarship at a college. You guys are basically the ones that have been told your entire life, you guys are great. You guys are the best at what you do. You guys are the top-tier talent. But then when you go into the workforce, it's completely different. It's not the same. Yeah, you know, the biggest thing that I've seen is it's
2: an identity crisis first, right? I mean, first you're thinking, I don't know who I am. If I'm not a football player, what am I, right? And everybody's going to go through this, whether it's it's 10 days in the NFL, whether it's 10 years in the NFL, is who am I if I'm not a football player? So, I mean, we've got guys with engineering degrees. We've got guys that – could get a job anywhere they wanted to, but they don't know how to. Or they, or they, There's going to be this transition period where you're going to be laying on a couch doing nothing. And what we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to cut that down to two weeks instead of what it typically is, which is about two years of guys just in limbo. Am I going to get a call from the Redskins this week? I don't know. You know, I mean, it can happen. And you've got to stay ready. And in the meantime, you're putting your whole life on hold while you're waiting for that to happen. And so we're really trying to push guys to understand – let's let's keep that and let's work for that, but let's also have something else going on the back burner.
3: Yeah, like your nine to five, but you your hustle after. You exactly. gotta do that. that after. You gotta do both. Stay ready. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, um coach Morgan Scally, I
2: was I was played with him and I was on the team when he came back to coaching and he tried to make a transition into the the typical nine to five workforce. And he said, you know, I remember it I've it's gone through my mind time and time and time again. He said, it was like you took a wild animal from the jungle and stuck me in a zoo. Mm. (laughs) I was in a cage in a zoo in my little cubicle for 10 hours a day. And it it was just like I I wanted to do anything to get back into the jungle, you know.
1: How do you release your competitive fire or that want to just go hit a man, you know, on the field, (laughs) on the field, of course. (laughs)
2: You know, every guy's got to find his outlet, you know, and hopefully you can apply yourself the way Matt and I have to our careers. You know, it, a lot of athletes go into sales because sales is oftentimes a commission-based environment where you're compensated based on your performance in a similar fashion to sports. My outlet when I first finished was the Scottish Highland Games. You guys ever seen that? No, sir. Check it out. Google it. So uh, Utah has a huge population of Scottish games, and I want to say – it's july i want to say it's coming up so where you pick past. up
1: rocks and you move all you that know, kind of stuff
2: yeah you're, you're throwing telephone poles you're oh, throwing geez. massive boulders. <laughs> so it's, it's like i went out and i saw it Jock i took stuff yeah, <laughs> yeah right I, I took my father-in-law to it because he's of scottish descent okay. and i took him to the scottish festival like the year i finished or something like that and we heard these guys like making these god-awful noises at the other end of this, of this festival. Everybody's walking around in their medieval stuff, drinking root beer and having a great time, right? And we went down and checked these guys out. Six foot seven, six foot five, 340 pounds of muscle, and these guys were just moving like, like
3: professional athletes. And yeah. I said, okay, With this
1: is what I want to do. Yeah, this <laughs> is what I
3: So when you're playing for the – you or any college and you're an athlete, Times are hard. Do you think athletes, even if you're on scholarship, should be getting paid?
0: Go ahead. Take that one
3: first. You know, I I had blinders
2: on while I was in school. I didn't see the struggle that a lot of my teammates were going through. I was pretty fiscally responsible. I didn't have support from home, and I was able to live off my scholarship and still eat, you know, four square meals a day and, and take care of myself. Um, but since then, I've as I've been involved with the athletes and really understood the struggles a lot of guys are dealing with, the hardest thing that I found is the pressure from your community, from your family, to make it to the NFL starts when guys are going to college now. I'm realizing, and this is happening right now at the University of Utah and at colleges all around, guys are sending 75% of their scholarship home to support their family. Wow. They're sending it home to feed their brothers and sisters and pay their mom's rent. And the scholarship checks, what, 1200 Fifteen hundred bucks a month. Yeah, you know, I mean, these guys are left with a couple hundred dollars a month for all of their living expenses. I mean, it's just it's not possible to live off of. in, in and I'm in real estate. I know what housing costs. <laughs> you know what I mean?
3: Well, what about for the athletes, your walk-ons who aren't on scholarship or anything, and they they can't find jobs. They can't work. You can't. It's like impossible to have a full time forty hour a week job plus play sports. No matter if you're on scholarship or you're a walk-on.
2: No, I mean, walk-on's a whole different world to live in. I mean, you can't, you can't be a walk-on without support from your family. Um, you know what I see a lot of guys do in a situation like that is a great football player that should be playing D one football winds up going to play in some small school in the in the Midwest because they'll give him a scholarship. You know, and a, and a lot of talent gets missed. But also, you see that with the NFL draft when you see these guys that get drafted out of these schools you've never heard from. That's why these guys are going
3: there because of grades. They're going there because of one other reason that they couldn't go play D one, but they're D one caliber guys. Do you think when you go to these smaller colleges that no one has ever heard of, and you said you can get missed, do you think that hurts someone's chances in the draft or, or are they just like, you know, the surprise kind of pick in the draft? Some of both, you know, I, I feel like the NFL is, again, there's thousands
2: of people working for every single team, you know, they're, they're going to find people now, but it's a different environment now, too, than it was when I came out. I mean, I, I came out a long time ago, over 10 years ago. And even then, University of Utah was such a small market team that we got missed a lot. You know, it was always, well, who are they playing against? It, I mean, you, you didn't get the same respect that, that now they're finally realizing. You know, now we're putting guys in the NFL every year. We're, we're a factory for it. But we had the same talent, if not better, 10 years ago. You know, and and yeah, they, they looked over a lot of it just because we were a small market team without a professional presence here. You know, you think of it this way. These these scouts, these pro teams, they wake up and they watch they they read their paper and they watch the news at night, just like everybody else. Okay, And the news in the paper, they talk about the local teams. So they're not going to hear you don't have a, a pro program here. That's going to have that presence and be talking about our athletes that are
3: here. What about for you, Matt? Was it kind of different in your era? Uh, Were players kind of like tweeting videos or Facebooking their highlight tapes to uh, coaches around?
0: Um, I've definitely seen a change from um, when I got done. I mean, we used to somewhat make fun of those guys, and I might have been one of those guys trying to come <laughs> up. Um, but it's definitely changed. I mean, nowadays, I mean, kids on the internet and Twitter, you know. Thank you, University of Utah or whoever, for my 35th offer. It's more about, you know, what's in it for me. Um, it's more of a branding. I mean, you, we see that in basketball with um, the guy from the Lakers. I mean, Lonzo Ball. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's interesting. It's more of a marketing stunt, I think, and um, it's just changed completely of how you can market yourself as an athlete as a, at a young age. Change for the better or for the worse? A little bit of both, I think. I mean, obviously, if you're an under um, – size and you don't have the big school behind you. I mean, you can market yourself and you can be a sleeper. Um, but at the same time, some of it gets annoying and you can get exposed. And Jesse and I try to tell these guys, you know, everything you do is magnified times a 1,000 um, because you are in the limelight of, obviously, this market. Yeah.
2: one One bad tweet can destroy any chance of getting drafted. Like, you give somebody that ability to say whatever they want to say to whomever they want to say it to – and they can really, really hurt themselves bad.
1: I see a lot of athletes on Twitter that use really bad language on Twitter. And so sometimes I wonder if coaches and athletic directors and PR people are really checking in on their a Twitter account. Because you can go to a handful of University of Utah athletes right now and there's the N-word all over their page. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's part of their culture, that's part of their identity. But at the same time, if you're trying to play with a Fortune 5 hundred team it doesn't work
2: well when you don't pay them can you really control what they do that much (laughs) so
1: that's where the change is is once the Steelers come into your life all that social media changes then
0: I think there's more eyes on it yeah Um, more people that are regulating it and and again I think you know the bigger universities have a lot more people to dive into it and to track every tweet that's coming out before it hits the newspapers Um, but again I, I do agree with you and it's Sometimes it's embarrassing with a lot of these guys that can't even spell. <laughs> well, and, and We see this with college football, all the time, whether it's
2: performance, whether it's injury, whatever it is, when you sign a scholarship, for the most part, you've got a scholarship for four years. You can do and say whatever you do and say. And as long as you play by the rules and you don't get arrested and you don't get caught doing drugs, you're going to have that scholarship. I mean, there's, there's guys that I work with right now that are for the Utes right now, you know, they're. They're ineligible to play because of injury or something like that. They're still on scholarship. You know, they, they're still there. And so with professional sports, you can be cut any second, any day for no reason. But in college, they're kind of committed to you. And mm-hmm. I think players understand that. And they realize that, well, I've got freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want to say. And I'm still going to have my scholarship. And, you know. Quite frankly, that's the truth, and that's the way it really should be. And there's
1: professors that will encourage that from these athletes because I've seen it in classrooms. They're like, yeah, you got to talk. This is who you are. Brand yourself.
2: Have some identity. Yeah, you yeah. know, my, my older brother, one of the biggest pieces of advice he gave to me was he says, if you're not going to promote yourself, who's going to do it? Mm. You know, you've got to be willing to pick up that microphone, to go to go contact a coach, to, to let somebody know how you feel. I mean, a big turning point in my career was the day I approached Urban Meyer out in the parking lot and I let him know how I really feel. And from that day moving forward, he gave me every opportunity I asked for. You know, but up until that point, I was just another name on the roster.
1: How hard was that conversation for you, just to get the courage to well, allow I, yourself to have that conversation? You
2: know, I, I sat in the I sat in the car for a good 10, 15 minutes just waiting for him to come out. So of course I was all psyched out. You know. Yeah. And he came, and I'm sure I was kind of you know shaking in my voice and trembling a little because I mean, Urban Meyer was was. Jesus Christ. He's intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, the dude could do anything. Mm. And so, you know, later as he told the story to the team, he said, I remember the day it's Jesse Boone you came to him. me with yeah. a tear in his eye. And, and yeah, it was like it was an emotional conversation, but it was because I wanted to, I wanted to help him understand that I care about this team, that I care about my future, and, and these are the things that I want. And you're my coach. You know, coach me. Mm. Show me how to get there, you know. And I, and I put it on him, and, and, yeah, had that conversation never happened, my career doesn't happen, you know. It, what it was was, it was we had something called Champions Club, and you, he created a, a divide on the team of your champions and your guys that were just on the team. Hmm. And I was in that group that was just on the team, and I felt it was unjust for the reasons that I was there. And, and we had a big Champions Club dinner. Champions Club had steak and potatoes. Everybody else had hot dogs and pork and beans, you know, and I, and I refused to eat my hot dog, refused to eat my beans. And I said, I'm not going to be in this group. I want to be in that group. And mm-hmm. so I let him know. Yeah, it made a big difference.
3: How do you the players that you guys are coaching right now, helping out right now? What do you tell them about that? Do you ever tell them that story? Or do you try to advise them on how to get from table B to table A to eat with the champions?
0: I think it's different. Every player has such a different personality, and um, some of them aren't ready for that conversation. Um, Especially, I mean, if you have a relationship with them and you can have that conversation knowing what they're going through, it's easier. But um, in my experience, you know, when they're ready, they'll reach out and ask for that.
2: Yeah, the the players these days, the environment, the culture, everything about that team is just such a different place than – it used
1: to be it's big business now it
2: is it is i mean what i'm realizing right now and you look at the high schools even right here in our own state high school is what the college football program was when i was playing college 12 years ago you know college is the pros now paid or unpaid this facility these guys live in let's call it live in <laughs> i mean the food there the the amenities that are available to these guys resources for whatever you might need for anything you might be going through I mean everything at your fingertips they are giving these players every chance to succeed in life every chance to succeed on the football field I mean whatever you need it's available to you
1: and in my opinion and I work in sport broadcasting and I am lucky enough to get to go to all these whether it's Utah State or BYU and work these games there's such a difference between what the students at the university of utah have than utah state or byu just from an athletic point of view and the money that's gone into these programs it's it seems like it could be a very stressful job being a lady red rock or a running ute or a football player at the university of utah
2: yeah i mean more money more problems Mm -hmm. you know and you, you really you do see it you see it with every coaching hire you can't hire a coach on a four-year plan at the University of Utah. You've got to win right now. You know, But with Weber State, look at the rebuild that they're doing up there. They, what did they win? Two games, then they won four games. Last year they had a winning season. They're committed to the program. They're committed to the coaching staff. They're going to allow them to recruit and, and bring their guys in. And, and let's give them five or six years and see what they can do with it. It's not an option. You've got to win now at the University of Utah. You know, I mean, as much as this program and this community and everybody loves, myself included, loves Kyle Whittingham, watch him have two losing seasons and see what happens. You know, you're only committed as long as the guy's producing W's.
3: What is a considered a losing season? Is it not getting to your bowl game, playing in the certain type of bowl game, uh, how many games you win during regular season? What is considered a losing right. season? No, and, and that culture's changing too,
2: especially for University of Utah. If you're not going to a major bowl game, People feel let down. They oh, yeah. feel like it was a losing season. I mean, they really do. And you're like, and you're thinking, I won ten games this year. You know, I sent you to the Foster Farms Bowl. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just like much. the Foster what bowl?
3: <laughs> is I that have in to the play BCS? BYU again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. And then another, it comes up back again. You're going to the bowl game, and then you're playing. If you have to play BYU again, it's just like, is that really a win? Is that really a game that you should even be playing? Especially for these athletes that know. I'm going to the NFL. Do you waste your time playing in that bowl game? Is it a waste of time? Do you play just because? Because you can get injured in that game, and then your entire NFL career could be over.
2: Yeah, and, and I can speak to that, too. So I, I played. I was the BCS buster. I played in that Fiesta Bowl. I was the starting center for that game. And as big of a high as that was, I should have been playing for national championship. We were undefeated, you know? We should have been playing against Auburn. And the winner of our game and the winner of their game should have been playing for a national championship. So while we were doing something that had never been done and it was the experience of a lifetime, yeah, there's always more. I mean, that's just who we are as athletes. We always want more than whatever we have. And even a national championship, I'm, I promise you, Alabama is sitting there thinking, we gave up 14 points to this, to this team. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. we, should, we should have shut them out, you know. I mean, that's, that's how we motivate ourselves every day is we always find our faults and what we can do to be better, you know. But but it's a, it's a tough deal to just – to to constantly please everybody too, because everybody has their own motivations, you know. And and as a player, you only control yourself. And that's a, that's the, football is the ultimate team sport, in my perspective. You know, I mean, it, it requires all eleven guys to be moving in the same same speed, same direction, same technique, same cadence. Everything
3: has to be unified. But what if you're playing in a bowl game? Doesn't really matter. It's a low level bowl game. You're not. You're going to the NFL. Do you? take that chance and play because it's a team sport?
0: I, I don't I don't buy into this. I'm going to take it off. Um, I, it's all about me. I mean, I think it's still about your team. And, um, I mean, I'm sure a lot of will argue, yeah, you could get hurt, you could tear your knee, you could lose millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, like, you know, you're playing with your boys and there is a team aspect to it. And you need to be there um, through thick and thin. I mean, that's just my personality. So I, I would never do that. But, again, I think it was other – and having been there in that NFL locker
2: room, I can tell you that the day college football finishes, you'll never replace that feeling of unity and family and brotherhood that you have with those guys. And I would encourage these players to milk every minute they can. And, and that bowl game experience, I mean, there is nothing like it. I've, I've, I've been to the NFL. I've been out to these dinners where we, they, we really do spend $40,000, $50,000 on a dinner, right? And Dom Perignon, you name it, everything you want, order whatever you want, 10 of them. It is not the same feeling as going to all-you-can-eat pizza in Salt Lake City <laughs> with your five other offensive linemen, that you know these guys inside and out, and you know their motivations, and you know their families, and you genuinely care about these
3: guys. It's like a brotherhood yeah. versus it may seem like the NFL is more a business. Is that kind of
2: it's how it is? It's 100% is? a business.
3: Yeah, and, and it
2: is every individual has to be concerned for themselves and look out for themselves and their family. And they, they really have to. Like I said, your shelf life is only so long. If you're playing for somebody else, you're playing for the wrong reason in professional athletics.
3: And then what's the main differences between – you brought up the locker rooms. Between the locker room, between playing uh, in the NFL, then in college? Well, in college, I'm in a locker right next to my best buddy for two,
2: three, four years, and and we know everything about each other. I mean, when you're standing naked next to a man, you know everything there is to know about this guy. You know, in the, in the NFL – it's a constant rotation. Like prison. <laughs> you, you, you've got a cut man, okay? You've got a cut man at the door. Imagine, imagine your jobs. Imagine any job out there to the to the listeners, okay? Imagine you show up to your job every day, and there's a guy standing at the front door with a clipboard, and your name may or may be not be on that list. And if it is, go clean out your desk. It's time to go home.
1: Every, every game, every day. Every single day. day.
2: That's got to be the worst job ever. And then on Tuesdays okay. during the season, being a, a fringe guy like I was, is that's so? So cuts happen on Monday. They fly out all the players that got cut on Tuesday. And Tuesday, I'm out there holding bags for guys that want my job. And, and it's my job to sit out there and and try to make this guy look as bad as possible so that I can keep my job for another week.
1: Is this abuse? What's going on with young men in the NFL?
3: It's voluntary abuse. It's vol.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: you know, I mean, you sign up for it, right? And and it's not just
2: the young men. I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about 50-, 60-year-old coaches that go to work every day in the NFL not knowing if they have a job. You know, this is everybody in that building. I was with the Oakland Raiders at the twilight of Al Davis. Everybody in that building did not know if they had a job every day that you came to work, every single day. And you don't know if your name's on that list. And so while I've got my comfortable little locker here, I'm not putting pictures up on my locker. I'm not moving into that space because it may be temporary. The guy next to me has changed out three times in the last three weeks. You know, I barely even knew his knew his first name, and he was already on to another team or back home on his couch, you know.
1: And you enjoyed that environment? <laughs> you know, you like do, My you, mind's blown right now, like, just thinking about
2: You do this. from the perspective of – your goal your whole life was to make it to the nfl i'm in the nfl people think i'm a big deal Mm. it makes me feel good you know i'm i'm signing autographs i'm kissing babies i'm i'm making great money i'm i'm really feeling like i'm on top of the world from that perspective but then when you when you get out of it and you realize what you were in you're really thinking to yourself like that that's no way to live that's i mean that's just not not who i want to be the the insecurities that you have. I mean, that's another whole big part of what we're doing is this this life after football oftentimes includes big-time depression, big-time substance abuse, you know, all of this stuff that guys are trying to cope with, the experience that they've been through. I mean, it's it's PTSD. It really is.
1: And we haven't even talked about the injury level because one of the things I see a lot is these young men, and let's say even women in their sports because they get grinded on too, is you have great doctors and nutritionists helping you out. But when it's gone, they're gone too. And so the man with a banged up hip still has a banged up hip without that great money going into fixing that hip.
0: Well, insurance too. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I see. I see a lot of guys that I played with, and I'm sure um, the ones that Jesse played with are limping, You know, bad knees, bad shoulders, multiple concussions, and there's nobody to lean back on. So from the insurance perspective, the schools could care less the money's not there to go back and get tested and figure out what's going on. So I know the NFL has dumped a lot of money into these concussions and taking care of the players after, but from the college experience, I think that there's a lot of guys more banged up from, you know, the four or five years that they played and maybe not made it to the NFL and don't get taken care of than the ones that may have had, you know, a knee or an ankle in the NFL. The the money
2: that the NFL is putting into this, it's hush money. It's, we're going to give you a couple million dollars to not say anything. Just go away. Here's your money. Go away. You know, But the, all those resources we're talking about, the nutritionists, the trainers, everything, it is to keep people on the field to keep making money. And the second you can't be on the field anymore, then there's nothing left for you. And like you said, it's all sports. I'm I'm showing homes to a gal right now who's 26 years old who is a college track star. She says, I need something on a single level because my knees are really bad. I can't get up the stairs.
3: She's 26. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she can't climb stairs. And she gave
1: everything. And yeah.
3: what's crazy is nowadays athletes, the co- not the coaches, well, it could be some of the coaches, um, athletes are just learning how to mask the pain. You have people on the sidelines, oh, you rolled your ankle, you did this, you hurt your shoulder, popped it out, just pop this pill real quick, you'll be okay. And you're not really treating the injury. And you're never going to really know how hurt you really are until you're completely done because you're sitting there masking the pain with different opioids.
2: There's two reasons for that. Number one is athletes want to play. That's why we're there. I'm going to play because I'm accountable to my team. I'm accountable to my family. I'm accountable to myself. And I want to be on that field. I want to be in control of this situation. And I don't want to let down these people who I care about by being on the bench and putting my backup in and he's not as good as I am type of thing. So that's number one is the athletes do have the final say and they can make that decision. However, especially when you look at professional sports, the guy, the the difference from one player to the next, let's say this, let's say every roster has two players that are irreplaceable. I believe that. The rest of them are just, just cogs in the machine. I mean, you see how many guys go down in an NFL game, probably two, three guys go down with injury every single game. Does anybody even really notice when the backup comes in? He's running the same routes. He's making the same blocks. He's doing the same plays. You don't notice unless it's one of your top two guys. So players are interchangeable. You get hurt, and you miss a series, or you miss a week, or you miss two weeks, and the second guy comes in, and, hey, they're moving a little bit better with, with Ricky in there. We're going to stick with Ricky. Thanks for what you gave us.
1: <laughs> Here's, there's yeah. the
2: door. You, know, you just lost your job because, yeah. you, because you had a broken shoelace. You
1: know, how do you how do you guys deal with weight issues coming off the field? Because you guys still are both very big men. But I remember Kyle Gunther, who's in Salt Lake City, (laughs) (laughs) you dropped 130, 140 pounds like in six months.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think what Gunther did is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I lost a lot of weight. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm down about 60 pounds from my playing weight. So
1: you're even bigger.
2: And it was a challenge. So while I was playing, I was. I was supposed to be 310 pounds. I mean, that's what the NFL wants. That's what people want. Ooh. They want an offensive lineman. And, and quite frankly, when you're trying to block a 380-pound Samoan, you have to be 310 pounds or you have zero chance. You mm-hmm. know, It's just a matter of physics at that point. So, so I had to gain weight. And I, and I worked for probably 10 years to keep and maintain my weight. So when I finished, it was really just a matter of I just stopped doing the weight-gaining methods that I was doing. And your body will kind of find its, its natural body weight and, and what you're supposed to be. You know, the, the way that guys get into trouble is when they make drastic changes or they make no changes at all. You know, when I was playing and I've, and I've had all my numbers tested and everything, my, my resting burn rate was 3,500 calories a day if I did absolutely nothing. I had to intake 15,000 calories a day oh to my maintain God. my weight.
1: So what do you eat for lunch? Everything I could put my hands on, like two whole chickens <laughs> and a
2: watermelon. No, it's not enough calories. I gotta eat fried chickens. I gotta eat fried watermelon. Fried I chickens.
1: Eat...
2: <laughs> yeah, it was everything. I mean, you think of trying to eat fifteen thousand calories a day just to maintain. You your can't weight. drink
1: that much in it, beer. It was, <laughs> <laughs>
2: it was a challenge. And so, like I say, the guys that get in trouble are the guys that go from fifteen thousand calories to, I mean, Jordan Gross is another example. Okay. Yes, he is. I mean, you you totally shift gears. He gave up meat entirely for a year. I was just talking with him a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that just blows my mind to think of a guy who played football at what three thirty, three thirty five. I mean, you can't be over three hundred pounds and not eat meat. It's yeah. just not possible. <laughs> you know, that's so. nuts. But then you got these other guys that make no change at all, and they continue to eat ten thousand calories plus per day without the physical exercise, and, and yeah, they, they just destroy their bodies.
3: Then they're on what does that show? My six hundred pound life. <laughs> <laughs> the quarterback was on there, uh, not on that one. He was
2: on Biggest Loser. <laughs>
3: Biggest. <laughs> oh yeah, now he's on ABC Four. <laughs> uh, good for Utah. Yes, yeah, good. Nice plug. Uh, so with the Utah football season coming up uh, in August, you know we're about a month, just over a month away. What do you guys see happening this season for the youth?
0: Yep. I think it's going to be a great season. Obviously there's a few things that need to get worked out on the offensive side of the ball, quarterbacks, uh big wild card. It sounds like up there um, right now, a lot of uh, O linemen are gone. The entire front line was drafted. So, um, you know, some younger guys need to step up, but uh, I'm very optimistic on the year and um hoping that these guys will lead from um, within and, think we should have a, a Pac-12 here
2: yeah one thing that stays the same is coach Kyle Whittingham you know he is the most even keel consistent person I've ever been around in my entire life and you give him a group of players and he's going to attack it the, you know with just the same consistency and the same tenacity and he's going to put a, a product on the field that's respectable they're going to be based on defense. I don't I mean I know we're bringing in this whole new offense and we're going to see what happens. I promise you that when when things get rough, we're going to go back to defense, we're going to go back to running the ball. The biggest question mark again, and I say again because it's been over 10 years since we felt confident with our quarterback. Am I am I wrong? I mean, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> you're right. yeah. Every single year, who what can our quarterback do? We know who our quarterback is. I'm not disputing that. But What's he capable of is he Is he going to be a guy back there in the pocket that's going to make smart decisions with the ball? You know it seems to me, and this isn't targeted towards the University of Utah now. this is just football in general that we're we're chasing this playmaker, a quarterback we're chasing a cam Newton, whereas I want a Tom Brady, I want an Alex Smith. I want a decision maker
1: We're not to play yeah. in the pocket you yeah.
2: just you just have to you just have to not screw up as a quarterback I mean <laughs> I played with Alex, okay. He was not a playmaker. He was a guy who made smart decisions with the football. He knew his reads. He knew when to get it out of his hands. I mean, I went from my junior year having Alex as my quarterback to my senior year having um, Brian Johnson as my quarterback, and this was his freshman year. I mean, he was a deer in headlights back there. I try to protect for a guy when you have no idea where he is behind you. He's running around everywhere. It's impossible to block for him, you know. I mean, all you need on a football program is just a quarterback that just knows his stuff, a smart quarterback who's consistent, and you're going to win games with that.
3: Well, Troy Taylor's supposed to supposed to come in and fix kind of that stuff, right? And we'll see how it's supposed to work with their offense this year because they're supposed to be more of a passing team when he's coming in. We're going to see how that works. Well, and again, it reminds me of
2: the shift when, when Urban Meyer came and took over the roster that we had that was built by Ron McBride. I mean, basically the first week he was there, he said, okay, well, we don't have a fullback or a tight end in our offense, so we've got 12 guys on scholarship that play fullback and tight end. Y'all need to figure out another position that you can play. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're know, you bringing in a, a coach right now and asking him to coach an offense that wasn't recruited for his offense. Yeah. So you've got guys that now have to find positions and, and figure out where they fit into this system, and that's going to be a challenge. And, again, it's win right now. It's not you've got three years to recruit your guys and, and build your system.
3: So he's coming from Eastern Washington. Do you think he's going to try to implement a lot of things that he did there to here? Or Coach Witt is going to be like, yo, we don't have time for that. You got to get in. This is our system. This is what we're doing. You like it. You don't like it. You leave. Yeah, I, I think it's got to be that way. You know, I, I think that, you know, it's Coach Witt's ship,
2: and he's he's calling the shots. And as much as, as, much as he's hiring people that know their stuff, and, and he certainly relies on them heavily, you know, especially – like I say, my senior year was Coach Witt's first year, and he stuck with what he knew. He hired a good offensive coordinator. He says, okay, I, I trust the people that I put into place. Go do your job. But at the end of the day, on the sideline, you know who's who ultimately is making the decisions and calling the shots. And if it's ever going to be a situation, he's going to go with what he's comfortable with, not with, well, let's try this and see if it works, you know? Yeah. How so,
1: special was it for football players to get to work with Norm Chow and – scott erickson's and these legendary hall of fame coaches is yeah. that important for yeah the i think
0: i think uh norm chow was awesome and he's the guy i built a relationship with most down to earth you know walking his office and um you know one of the best guys i've ever met and i had a good relationship with his son when i was trying to go to the nfl and uh, built a relationship on that extent but um, erickson i mean he's a legend that guy has been around um i don't know if he's still in utah but that guy can recruit anybody, um, and I think for um, you know, going into the Miami days of where he's come from, um, that definitely helped out Utah um, from a uh, recruiting standpoint for sure. Mm-hmm. But, so, but yeah. Matt's a 5-percenter, Matt's a guys. I mean,
2: 95% of that team doesn't even know the first name of probably 50% of the coaches on their staff. This is true. Okay, they know the people that coach their position. They're just terrified. They, they're just trying to figure out, that's a giant building. What is it, 60,000, 100,000 square feet? They don't even know what room they're supposed to be in and what time they're supposed to be there. These guys are just lost, just trying to figure that out. You can't take this in, and you can't appreciate the situation that you're in and build a relationship with this with Norm Chow because you're, you're just trying to figure out which way is up half the time you're in there. You know, you got 5% of the people – and this is a big thing we've experienced with trying to give opportunities to these players, trying to set them up for internships, trying to help them understand that there will be a day that football is not life anymore. And there will be this life after football. We got 5% of guys who get it. They attend everything. They take great notes. They're learning, they're listening, they're participating. And you got 95% of the guys that it's not that they don't want to, it's that they don't know how to, they don't know how to function. You know they just, they're just trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be, the next 20 minutes type of a thing
3: so do you just keep going does the train just keep going and leave those people that don't know what they're doing or don't know how to do it or do you stop the train and come on let's go we're all on this together i mean
2: one of the big things in sports is you're only as strong as your weakest link you know and what we're doing we like to think makes a difference with what these guys are doing on the field the more well-rounded you are the more balanced your life is the the less that fumbles going to matter to you you know a guy who as much as, as much as I did this and as much as I, I really admire the guys who live, breathe, eat, sleep football, you know, it magnifies their mistakes, and it took a, a really wise coach to see that that was a problem with me and help me overcome that play and move on to the next play. There's a big psychological part to the game, and, and that's a huge part. I mean, you think of, think of Joe Williams, right? I mean, think of what happened to him after he had some fumbles and, and what that did to him mentally and and how he i mean he he couldn't function i mean he he, he quit, quit. The team yeah, he quit. because he couldn't function not because he didn't love football not because he wasn't good at football he was embarrassed yeah you know and, and it was like maybe if it wasn't such a big deal maybe if football wasn't your entire life then you're gonna get over that fumble and you're gonna go you're gonna go have fun playing the game and it's not gonna be like oh my god i just i just cost this much money i just cost this but i mean it's it's not about that you know it's just about having fun and playing with your brothers so
3: are you going to take on the whole saying, you know, ball is life? Are you going to start a new thing? Ball is not life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the biggest thing, too, guys, is is I was
2: not what I'm teaching kids to be. I was a ball is life. I mean, you ask anybody who played with me, I was a total, I, I, I don't know jerk. how censored I, jerk, there she go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not not. sure how <laughs> censored I need to be on on this right now. But, but I mean, all I cared about was winning that game. Play that game, that rep, that whatever it was, and I mean the teammate that I even was was, if you're not on my level, you're not on my my team. I have nothing to say to you, and and I and I bullied guys (laughs) on the team that that couldn't keep up. You know, instead of bringing them up the way that I should and and being the leader that I should have been, go help a guy who's struggling. I would weed them out, and I found pleasure in that. So, like I said, that's that's kind of who I was. And now that I'm grown up, now that I have kids, now that I'm on the outside looking in. I can truly see it, and I can, and I can say, don't, don't be who I was. Don't make the mistakes I made. I mean, this is what we're all doing in our 30s and 40s and 50s, right, is we're, we're trying to go back and teach a younger generations so that they can, they can not make the same mistakes. And that's, that's kind of what I'm doing with our program now is I'm trying to help guys just see that what I've been through, and you all don't have to do it this way. There's an easier way. You
3: know? Now, if people want to get hooked up with you guys and figure out more what you guys are doing, or athletes that are listening to this and want to get involved with you guys, where do they go?
0: Yeah, we're on Facebook uh, Ute Athlete Connect. Um, we have a website too. Um, I do need some help with that, so if you want to reach out to me, <laughs> UteAthleteConnect.com. Um, but yeah, we're you know just trying to help out, and we'd love to help out any other athletes that are other universities trying to find their way. Um, we understand that you know we've been there. We know what you're going through, and if you're looking for a job or you want to sit down and help you know guide you through a process of um you know what a job might look like um it doesn't have to be sales doesn't have to be being a doctor or surgeon let's talk about it let's figure out what might make sense for you and get you going
2: yeah we're, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. um we're doing it because we care we're doing it because we want to help people and w- we've worked with skiers we've worked with the basketball players we've worked with women's athletics i mean if there's a if there's somebody that needs help, come ask. I mean, and and it may not always be about transitioning to a job. Like I say, there there might be there might be other issues that are going on, and you might just need somebody who's been there to talk to talk to about it. You know, and we've got great resources available to us as well that we've built. You know, if I can't help you, I know somebody who can, and I can point you in that direction. But but asking for help always is the hardest step. You know, so it's really on. The listeners, it's on the the athletes, it's on the people that are out there to to just go ask and find out what resources are available.
3: All right, thank you guys so much for being here. We appreciate your time. You guys are blowing
1: my mind back, I have...
3: Sasha. This is the quietest you've <laughs> ever been.
1: I, I feel like we just opened up a whole bunch of conversations here, and so maybe one day back we can circle around and get more specific. But I really enjoy what you guys are doing for this community. I think it's. I think it's vital for some of these young men and women because at the end of the day, you're a human being and you're not a medal and you're not a trophy and you're not a piece of meat. And I hate how athletes get victimized um, by our culture.
2: Well, that's a big thing too, especially in football, is you get to wear a helmet. You You can be a helmet, basically. What we're trying to do is we're trying to take the helmet off. We're trying to help these guys realize that they are people. We're trying to help the community realize that there's a 19-year-old kid under that helmet. You know, let's let's have some leniency with these kids. I mean, think of the situation. We took them out of a an inner city project. We put a helmet on their head, and we stuck them out on a football said, field and said, "Go make me millions of dollars." You know, I mean, these guys are just swimming, trying to pick up anything that they can right now. I mean, have some have some patience and some understanding, and and understand what these kids have been through to get to where they are. And and you know, just I mean, try to ease up on the pressure that we put on these kids to to be
3: grown men because they're not; they're kids. So when someone kind of acts out or has an incident, um, outburst that we see, don't always just take it for what it is. Kind of just chill for a second and realize what that person, that athlete, is going through. Yeah, he just
2: found out. He just found out that his girlfriend's pregnant. He's scared to death. I mean, whether you're a football player or not, that's that's a real life situation that make just you happened, cry. Yeah. you know. I mean, you, you're trying to figure out what my next 40 years look like right now. You know, I mean, there's there's always a backstory to it. We all do it. I do it. Y'all do it. You know, we have days that just aren't good days. But because we don't have cameras following us around, nobody knows about it, you know.
3: So when you're going to steal those crab legs, <laughs> 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 it wasn't anything. It was just a moment. <laughs> I
1: love it. Thank you, gentlemen.
3: Thank you. Thanks, guys.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, let's keep your head up. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I like be closed captioned. Addicted to fake retractions. Pictures and actions be played back. In the midst of mashing. no fairy tales for this young black male. Some see me stranded in this land of hell, jail, and crack sales. hustling and hardly think of culture. or the repercussions while busting on backstabbing vultures. Selling my soul for material wishes. Fast cars and bitches. Wishing I live my life a legend immortalized the pictures, bitches. Watch that tears say your sympathy. My childhood years was spent. Burying my peers in the cemetery. Here's a message to the newborns. Waiting to breathe. If you believe, then you can achieve. Just look at me